gloomy, mostly Euclidean confines of Castle Gormagon, upon the lofty, wind-blasted heights of the Plateau of Lang, I am Confucius the Ecumenical Volgi, and this is Radio Gormagon. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting podcast. Today we have Gorty, we have the uh, Dishonorable Pewter, and of course we have Dr. J and myself, the Tsar of Muscovy. Uh, we have received a request to talk about what life is like post-COVID. So the first question is for you, Pewter. What the heck is with your taste in music? My taste in music is exceptional. I like Everything from the Bangles to Bananarama, from Wham. Does that include Fun Boy 3? Exactly. Fungo. Mungo Jerry. Grape Ape. I like all the Josie and the Pussycat soundtracks. You know, top-notch stuff. I don't think so, I'd call that a wide range. <laughs> oh, um, classical music. I like choral music. I like music that's tonal. I don't like any of that, like, crap that's like the 12-tone stuff where it's like, oh, look, I'm doing experimental stuff. And I was like... I don't want to think about your goddamn music. If I have to think about it and I have to look at the notes written down on the paper to understand what you're doing, I don't care. This is what I do for fun, not for like my life story. And I'm tired of getting lectured about how I know nothing about music by my son, not by Czar. Oh, no, I think you know plenty about music. It's just all your tastes are really uh, feminine. True. No, that's true. But that's how you get the chicks, Czar. <laughs> So your uh, your genres include I'm writing these down classical and classical. I believe Broadway show tunes. Is there anything else? I do like southern rock or what would be classified by many as southern rock. Um, I do like some of the folk rock genre from that era. Um, so mamas and papas good with you? Or? I do like mamas and papas actually. That's good. See, you know, we're we're find, finding common ground. You know, I like Bob Dylan. Mostly for his lyrics, and actually his music's pretty Mandarin's good, Mandarin's not here. He's, a, he's an expert at this stuff. This is one of his only hobbies. I hate Led Zeppelin with, like, a yeah, fiery now, passion. See, let's just get to that, because I think that you think they've only done two songs. Uh, the Immigrant Song, which you kind of like. I actually do like the Immigrant Song, but mostly because... Fairway to Heaven, which, which, you know, really nobody likes. And Black Dog. You know, they've got probably a couple hundred other songs that you, you might want to look into. That. And the one where, you know, Jimmy Page is crammed into really tight pants and, you know. I mean, Led Zeppelin's use is a punchline in Fast Times at Richmond High. Well, yeah, because you got to put on Led Zeppelin 4 to, to make out with your, you know, to get your chick, you know, ready to make out. So, and it just sucks. And anyway, Mo likes Led Zeppelin and Led Zeppelin blows. It does not blow. Okay, blows. so. Gord, you also forgot uh, Wayne's World 2 where uh, Mike Myers, as Wayne, walks into uh, a music store and he begins to, he picks up a guitar, strums it a couple times, plays the first few notes of Stairway to Heaven, and immediately a sales associate comes up, taps him on the shoulder, and points at a sign that says, absolutely no Stairway to Heaven. Denied. <laughs> That's right. Denied. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I just, I just don't get what people think. I mean, I understand that, Many, many people disagree with me, and they think Led Zeppelin's a great band. It's just, it's oh, not no, I, my... I, I wouldn't say many people disagree. I would say the vast majority disagree with you. No, that's true. No, I would agree with that as well. It's just, it's one of those things where I just, I've never seen the allure of Zeppelin. I just don't think they're that 
good. I mean, so it's Zeppelin is bad, but let's see. Uh, what did you say you like? You like Bruce Hornsby in the range? No, Elton that's John that's Gord and Julian <laughs> no. Lennon. I believe you said no, no, no Julian Lennon. No, not so much Julian. This, this is why people question. Question what? Um, the existence <laughs> of your taste in music. I think. It's oh, well, no, I like well, uh, CCR. I defended you the other day on on Twitter, and I don't know what had come over me. Um, <laughs> Because I had indicated that, uh, despite all of your ridiculous pretenses about music, uh, you really do cover a lot of different genres and can speak very intelligently on literally any other aspect of music. Except Led Zeppelin? Except a lot of classic rock, I'd say. Pewter's not wrong. Pewter is never wrong. And the czar may suck it. I don't know. I just, I just sort of, my taste in rock got stuck somewhere like late, like let's say 65 sort of with the British blues revival where you started seeing the kinks and the early Rolling Stones and then, you know, Led Zeppelin sucks ass. And then, no, but that was the early sort of, I liked that. And then you sort of got into the Led Zeppelin sound, which I didn't like. I do like the who the kinks. I love the kinks. Um, I've seen, actually seen them in concert. Uh, What else? Eric Clapton. I like Clapton. I like some of Clapton's stuff, except that one song about his kid falling out the window. Well, you know, to be fair, he needed the money. I <laughs> saw I saw Clapton in concert in the early 90s in college, and it was one of the worst concerts I've ever been to. It really? Was, blah. He had no energy. He just kind of played the songs, and they just didn't, like, blah. I don't know. I just never got into Eric Clapton. Where did you see him? Lakewood Amphitheater in Atlanta. Was it pre or post Clapton's uh, son's death? Uh, I think that was pre. I might have to check the date on that. Yeah, because I saw him in the 90s too. Um, and I saw him in Philly. And I thought it was a pretty good show. Maybe it was just a bad night. They're Dr. all entitled J. to a turkey. Dr. Ooh. J wants us to get on his favorite uh, performers. Uh, Miley Cyrus, System of a Down, and Carol King. Okay, I like Carol King, but the other ones, I don't know where you get that from. <laughs> Carol King's good. I will defend you on one of the one of the arguably best songwriters of her era, of a lot of eras. Uh, uh, the, the little the little resident and Mrs. Doctor J saw the uh, the play the musical that is about Carol King's life, mm-hmm. and I forget the name of the musical because I didn't go with them. And Phantom of the Opera. Yes, it was Phantom of the Opera, and. Um, the amount of so- the, the songs that she wrote from like the fifties all the way through um, that she didn't perform herself. I mean, I was like, wow, I didn't realize that she wrote all of that. Good chunk yeah. of the monkeys hits too, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And Neil Diamond was another one of those sort of of that era who was also a prolific songwriter. Um, and also wrote a lot of the monkeys hits. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a believer, right? Isn't that his? I don't and know. That is correct. Look at me. There's one. No, and if you go back farther, I really do like sort of the swing sound, whether it's the, you know, sort of the big band swing sound with the front person singing. I love Ella Fitzgerald. Just love Ella Fitzgerald. Billie Holiday, great voice. Heroin problem. You know, you can overlook that. And, you know, well, and, kind of went with the territory back then, too. Yeah, and you know who's like almost as good as Billie Holiday was? It was the guy who was the front man for Blind Melon who died from a heroin overdose. But that's really the only similarity they had, you know, since he was a white guy in the you know, 90s and she was a, you know, strung out jazz singer, basically. But you and he have the same haircut. True. 
True. And he did do that one song about the bee girl, which I yes. loved. Was it so, No More No Rain? No Rain. Was that song? Other than the fact that he died of a heroin overdose, he's nothing like Ella Fitzgerald, you're saying. Yes, exactly. So oh, you get I my point. So, make the association here. Yeah. See? <laughs> and then Hendrix, I do like Hendrix. What's who's his drummer is Mitch Mitchell. Mitch Mitchell, Mitch Mitchelson, Mitch Mitch, Mitch Mitchell Kup- is correct. Mitch Kupchak. He's no, one of Mitch Mitchell. I, Mitch Mitchell. But he was he was a great drummer. I really enjoyed him. Um you know, but he, Hendrix was the genius in that band. But he he had the good means physically enjoyed him. I did physically. And you know, that was you know. When you can have a time tra- traveling robot as your best friend in high school, you get to do a lot of things that you know, yeah, it was crazy times. The '60s were nuts. Field trips that not a lot of other kids get to take. Um, early America, before they did that one, what's that one crap song they did? I could, I still can never believe that was an America song. Horse with no name. No, no, that's a crap song too. But Sister Goldenhair is great because there are alligator lizards in the air, in the air because you got to emphasize it. Um, and then, you know, you get way back to the classical stuff, you know, and whether it's the Russians I love, like whether it's just their instrumental music or their choral music, because it's all genius emotion. I don't know how else to put that. It's just, you know, it's like the Russians know pain and love and death and all that stuff. And their musicians are exceptional. Hey, um, hey Dr. J, I actually use that, uh, uh, song title in a, uh, probably the greatest pun I have ever come up with on the, on the fly a in-law of my brother was complaining that he purchased a garden gnome that he'd put in the front of the house and accused my brother's family of coming over and sabotaging it, which in fact they were doing. And uh, he was pretty upset because it uh, disappeared one day and we were at a family gathering where he accused my brother's family of having stolen it. And he was upset because he was leaving for a trip to Phoenix, Arizona on business and uh, was hopeful that by the time he came back, it would be returned. And there was an awkward pause. And I said, so what you're telling me is you're headed to the desert with a house with no gnome. <laughs> that's great. That's good. That's a true story. Yeah. It's also that's a horrible a- pun. <laughs> I liked it. Well, there's no, there are no good ones. Fair. If you do them right, they're not good. True. They just make everybody groan and run away from you. You know, I remember being in carpool with Gort T or Gort, as I call him, because, you know, I've known him long enough. That's my nickname for him, because I don't do two-syllable names very well. It's pronounced Volgina. Well, <laughs> it's Burgina. <laughs> the, you know, but I was trying to remember what we would listen to in carpool back in the day. Well, so on the, well, radio, we had a lot of, you know. NPR. No. <laughs> Greaseman did not qualify as NPR. No, he did not. No, he did not. But we did have, we had a fair amount of CCR. Uh, we had U2. The Hooters. Hooters. You guys knew the Hooters? Oh, that's one of Gortiz because it's, it's one of his favorite bands. They're a Philly I, band. So this is, this is what started the, the firestorm on Twitter a couple of days ago with Computers in inane comment that led to this podcast. Which I which, went and saw Stevie Nicks for the pretty much for the sole purpose of the Hooters were opening for her. And Stevie Nicks sucks. Mm. Just throwing it out there. Just gonna say I know this is another one of my Led Zeppelin sucks opinions. Yeah. But I hate Stevie Nicks, and I hate that everybody's like, 
oh, I want to be just like Stevie Nicks and dresses up in the flowy robes and spins around. It's like, dude, we get it. You're like, you're too scared to follow the Grateful Dead and you want something that's kind of like it, you know? And you, so you don't have to leave home, live in a van with eight guys who are nailing you every night while you, you know, you trade your ass for some LSD and, you know, and dance like a mad woman in the mud outside, you know, you're waiting for Pigpen to resurrect from the dead after, after his. And, and listen to him. He, he knows what he's talking about. That's true. I did trade ass for LSD back in the day, but that's another whole discussion. You know, that's another whole podcast. And I was actually a Stevie Nicks fan. I mean, I liked uh, Fleetwood Mac and then by extension, her solo career up until the third album, the 86 album, uh, Rock a Little. But after that, it just went, you know, yeah. as she got older. She did not age gracefully. No. So, so, but she did have that cult following at the concerts of like all the, the, the flowy, spooky, witchy chicks and all that sort of thing. Um, when I saw her, Frampton opened for her. And about 2,000 people came, saw Frampton, left, and gave their ticket stubs to other people outside who came in for the rest of the show. And um, what was weird was that Tom Petty was in town. So he actually came and uh, did a couple of songs with her uh, during the show, which was pretty cool. Yeah, so, we saw – it was uh, Mrs. Gort and I uh, saw him. Uh, she was still in high school. I was in college. And – we were the only ones home because we were on quarter system. So we were there here home late. Or was a grad student and she was a freshman. <laughs> right. right. And uh, it was at a, a big pavilion here in, in the DC area. And we came home and we were all kind of jumpy. And my mother-in-law goes, you guys got a contact high. It was there was a ton of weed being smoked at the concert, and there was a ton of people with the flowy dresses twirling about the whole concert, like just flower child dancing, getting nailed by eight guys in a van in the back. <laughs> no, no, that's the Grateful Dead, not Stevie Nicks. The, he's seen it a thousand times. I've done it a thousand times. Are you kidding? That's why, you know, I'm sore. I have to like, I had to get, you know, stitched up back there. The proctologist is on my speed dial. The, uh, but it's always the same eight guys. You, you, you know, you think I could, I got better taste, but you, no, no, I really don't. I have my type. Uh, and that brings us back to your musical opinions. But the one concert that I really do regret missing, I've, saw, I've seen you two in concert for, I forget, one of their tours. It was 83, 84, maybe. Back when remember. they were good. Yeah. But oh, the we were one, in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I would say the person's name I went with, but I'm not going to say the person's name I went with. It's Fair a enough. person we went to school with yeah. um, back in the day. And because um, I saw them on on Joshua Tree when we were freshmen. In OK. College. OK. That was so, the Joshua Tree tour. It would have been four years earlier than that. So I don't remember. what. It, but the concert that I do regret missing when we were in high school and since everybody who's on here grew up next to a major city. Glass Tiger? <laughs> close, close. Um, Conway Twitty. No, um, it was the Dylan Petty Dead Stadium Tour. That would have been a heck of a concert to have seen. I mean, it was like, you, you know. They, no, I mean, Tom Petty's still dead. Yeah, and so is Jerry Garcia. Bob Dylan is still alive and a Nobel laureate, I will have you know. And has his first number one song. Wait, what? Yeah. His most recent song, um, Murder Most Foul, hit number one on the charts. It's a song about uh, this, the death of JFK. 
there's not a lot of mystery to that death. The man got shot through his head. <laughs> murder must foul. Uh, I, you know, he's a little too important to have been murdered. Don't they call that assassination? I don't know. I, I, I'm just a simple, I'm a simple pewter. I don't know much. And so, so Zar, we've talked a lot about, you know, our musical tastes, you know, who do you like? I, you know, who are you partial to? Yeah. The great question, because um, my wife got snookered into paying for a family Spotify account by two. I'm not going to say who it was, but it was by two fast talking teenage boys that live in this house. Who are Canadians. It was the Canadians. Canadians. Yeah, and uh, I was told because of this, I had to set up my Spotify account. First and song queued up was it, Millie Vanilli. It's about uh, I don't know 720 different artists long and still growing. Uh, it's pretty wide ranging because I have very comfortable knowledge, obviously in in rock that we've talked a lot about. But I would say it's equally good in the jazz world uh, with different forms of jazz going all the way back to the ODJB and Big Spiderbeck. Uh, up to and including Miles Davis, because, you know, he invented four of the seven types of jazz, I think. He'll take credit for more. Well, he's dead, but um, do a lot of blues, too, uh, living in the Chicago area. Got uh, favorites in each of the different categories there. I'm also, and I think this surprises a lot of people, quite quite a reggae fan. So everything from Burning Spear to uh, Black Uhuru. Uh, is on my playlist. Modern artists I like. I like uh, I like Muse. I'm getting into them. And one of my new favorites uh, in the last couple of years is uh you know she's she's probably a, a one one hundredth my age is Wise Blood, W E Y E S B L O O D. Uh, she's a solo performing artist. That's not her actual name, but uh, that's the name she chose for her her uh, cover. And uh, really really good stuff. Very very Karen Carpenter esque. Uh, but with a much more modern feel. Brilliant, gifted uh, vocalist. Karen Carpenter had a phenomenal voice. Whatever you thought of their music, her voice was one for the ages. I mean, it was like Agreed. The, the voice Agreed. of God. If and God were a chick, which she is not. Which he is not. It just, you know, I know a lot of people do love the Carpenter's music. I, I could take it or leave it, I guess. But I do think she was capable of so much more had she had a, a, a songwriter like Carol King writing her stuff. I think oh she my God. It, it would have been exceptional. I mean, honest, honestly, I mean, I think she could have sung anything that was put in front of her and it would have been brilliant. And, you know, that was back when they didn't have the ability to <laughs> monkey with your voice to get it up to pitch. I, I, I think uh, the fact that uh, she made many hits for the Carpenters is proof that she could sing anything and make it really good. Mrs. Mrs. P um, very, very much enjoys the Carpenters and, you know, and, and Karen Carpenter played drums. She did. She, she did. did. That's true. Which you would not expect, and which I did not expect. And uh, when she was touring with Jimi Hendrix, she used the name Mitch Mitchell. That's true. And you know, she has a great not set true. of jazz licks. You know, the, actually, it's more blues with Hendrix, but it's still a great sound. I mean, it was just, you know, a wonderful sound there. And Mitch Krupa. She actually also went by Mitch Krupa. <laughs> Jean's, uh, yeah, Jean's brother. Well, yeah. Well, no, it's, that's, you know, that was her secret name. Uh, and I'm always happy to uh, discuss and debate themes in classical music with Pewter, ranging from the Baroque era on up to the Romantic. And I think I'd go as late as Gustav Holst, because I think it's impossible to listen to any modern Hollywood uh, soundtrack to any major motion picture 
without hearing how 90% of it was ripped off from just the planets alone. Yeah, Williams stole all of Star Wars. I mean, all that shit uh, stuff is out of the out of the planets. It's Yeah, looted maybe. I don't know that he'd say stole. Uh, he would probably describe it as more. He took it with the intention of never returning it. It's an homage. That's what you got to call it. That's what you got to got to call it. But no, that was I would say one of the best modern classical composers if you get a chance to listen to is Lauridsen, L-A-U-R-D-I-S-E-N. He's still alive. He's teaching at USC, and his choral music is this is gorgeous. And actually, after the Romantics, I would say Barber. Uh, uh, you're saying Holst, so you're talking about Holst. Uh, Samuel Barber uh, yeah. wrote some great stuff. Um, Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein. He, but he was like sort of a crossover jazz classical guy. Very much. The you're Chichester Psalms, which I have sung, is an excellent, you know, it's it's brutally time-signatured and syncopated for a vocalist. Okay, I know there, if there are instrumentalists listening to this, I know you guys get it, I, uh, you can do it, but you know, when you're a vocalist, it's a whole different discussion. And you guys, I know, all make fun of the choir majors back, you know, and the vocal majors. But uh, that was that was really well, yeah. Really... They're the only kinds of musicians that couldn't get any action. Exactly. Well, them and the them and the drummers, unless you were Karen Carpenter, but she never saw any food action. So uh, Dr. J wants to is you know talk about Spotify. Uh, the last thing I heard walking around the castle is I think he had uh, Gilbert O'Sullivan's version of "In My Barbie World" playing. Yes, uh, that's that's my favorite uh, version of it. That's that's the best cover of Barbie World. Ripping it off from Aqua, but oh, yeah, is hard. it is real hard. So, but I didn't, um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, my tastes are more uh, 80s new wave and then classic rock, you know, and I haven't really, I've really been just kind of stuck in the 80s and 90s by and large. Drives my kids crazy. Although I don't know without radio where they pick up, uh, pick up new music. I mean, it's one of these things where it's like, I mean, I remember listening to the radio and hearing you know, top 40 and all that kind of stuff and being exposed to music, you know, either on the radio or, you know, through that, but radio's dead as far yeah, as music my guys is. get it off YouTube and they, they make me listen to stuff that they think I'd like. And probably about 90% of the time they're right. That's a really good sign. Yeah. I find that my, my kids, both my kids, actually my oldest one a laptop, he made a playlist when we had to drive from, Godforsaken upstate New York to the Godforsaken Chicago land area. God, and we I listened. It was all Zeppelin. It was not all Zeppelin, but it, I was surprised at how much stuff he picked that I liked. You know, I think I'm trying to remember what was on there. Like Father John Misty, there were a couple songs that I liked of his, you know, which will make Neva happy. But it's, you know, there was some stuff that I didn't, I really honestly would never have given it a chance that he played. And what was the one he kept coming back to that's like a joke in our house? Maybe it was. Take me on or take on me or whatever take that song me. is. Ah, uh, so he would just put that in there, and it was just sort of like a joke. And that wasn't that song. I'll have to remember what it was. But yeah, I, the, the 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 newer stuff. It, I think there's so much of it out there, and so much of it is good. And you've got so many people who are avoiding sort of the the what the musical equivalent of the studio system is, and it hasn't really come to country music yet. But they're sort of bypassing all the gatekeepers of, of radio and, you know, the albums. And they just say, screw it, I'm going to publish my stuff on YouTube. And they get a following. And then that's how it works now. They're cutting out the middleman. Yeah, I did a whole podcast, which I know you didn't listen to, um, on how the uh, 
rise of streaming has basically killed the album. And as a result, uh, artists aren't getting away with like doing one or two quality pieces and then filling another, you know, 10 to 12 songs on the album with, with filler, uh, just stuff that they wrote in 20 minutes and recorded in, in half that time. Um, and as a result, they've got to compete on a single by single basis like they used to do in the 50s. And as a result, the quality has gone way up. Sort of jumping off of where you're going here. There used to be such a thing as a concept album, not even a concept album, but an album that was just tight start to finish. Absolutely. So what, what, would you, what would you say, each of you, was the best top to bottom album of, let's say, 1965 to today? I mean, anything by Led Zeppelin. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> no, I, I've got two. And, you know, I have mixed feelings about this because there are some songs that my second best album, I think top to bottom would be Springsteen's Born to Run. I mean, I think there's not a bad song on there, although I hate 10th Avenue Freeze Out with a fiery passion. And my, my beef with the rest of the album is that all that stuff is just so overplayed at this point. You know, it's just kind of like everybody's like, oh, Springsteen, he wrote all these songs. You know, it's like, oh, I don't like Dylan because he wrote all these songs. It's like, yeah, but that's what are the Beatles. And you're kind of like, yeah, but they sort of switch stuff. But I do What's think the other that one? you said you had two. Yeah. My, my, the first one is Blood on the Tracks, Bob Dylan. I think that album is probably, it's, it's, I think it's one of the best albums ever put together of sort of the rock, sort of in that era. You know, there are better jazz albums, there are better classical pieces, there are better lots of things. But I think for the modern sort of era, pre, let's say, YouTube, let's say pre-2000D-ish, um, you know, and that's sort of where people are going out on their own way. I think that's probably one of the best, top, I think it is the best top to bottom album. But that's my opinion. What do you think? Gord, what do you say? Uh, Nelson Schmilson for you or uh, anything by the Hooters, right? Um, I'm partial to Hanson. Um, <laughs> Middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Best Masterpiece album. of the studio. So I would go, I am very partial to U2's Unforgettable Fire. I think it is an underrated U2 album. Uh, I don't think there's a bad, like Peter was saying, I don't think there's a bad song on it. Uh, it happened to be on one side, right? So this dates us, right? So when we were young, we used to listen to cassettes and we all got excited when cassettes lengthened to where you could fit a full album on one side. So you could have two albums, right? Flip the tape. So one side was, <laughs> was you two. And then uh, one of our friends uh, who went to another school, one of these girls that we knew in high school, had Yaz upstairs at Eric's and I put that on the backside of it, which was one of the tapes we had during beach week when we were, when Pewter and I were at beach week. But I think the other album I might throw on there is uh, maybe signals by rush. You know, we were talking, talking Good about, yeah, we were talking about drummers and we lost Neil Peart this year um, who by far I think was one of the most talented musicians, uh, musicians all around, but drummers in particular, especially if you watch any of the documentaries that go into Rush and, and particularly him, he would reinvent himself periodically. Like he would tear down his whole drumming style and rebuild it, which was just phenomenal to sit there and watch. 
And now, a word from our sponsor. Look what's coming in your mail. It says get 11 albums for only $497.83 when you join the Gormagon 8-Track and Tape Club. Terrific. Well, I'm about to tell you how to do this. Offer one better and get 12 reel-to-reels or tapes instead of 11 for that very same $745.62. First, look inside and you'll see over 300 great albums. It's easy to find 12 you want because you have a choice of all the top labels that no one else is listening to. Music and performers you most want to hear, like Guar, Barry Manilow, Carl Douglas, Edison Lighthouse, Sniffin' the Tears, Captain and Tennille, and Cindy Greco. Ace, Haircut 100, Frank Stallone, Force MDs. The list goes on and on. Now, to get your 12 wax etchings or tapes for only $2,387.17. All you do is look for the secret gold box. This one, right on the savings certificate. It's a secret, you bet. You see, there's no explanation. Just the gold box. It won't mean a thing to anyone. And I mean anyone. Write the number of the additional choice recording or tape you want as a bonus gift. Then list your other 11 choices in these boxes and mail the postpaid card. Mind you that the 12th record or tape is an extra bonus. You just earned because you turned into the Gormagons at this moment. Remember, it's our secret. So watch your mail for this package from the Gormagons. And be sure to look for the secret gold box and use it. Or look for the secret gold box in the most recent issues of these magazines that no one is reading anymore. No, that was really cool. And so we were talking about, you were talking about cassettes, Gort-T, Gort, and, or Volgai, Volgi, Volgi, Kanji, G-Wiz, G-Willikers. But no, the, the... It's pronounced Volgasm. Volgasm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now I will know how to pronounce that. The story I remember, and I will tell because Volgai is not here, was that in his carpool, and Gort-T can jump in here, the, the person that drove his carpool had like, a Ford LTD, you know, fake wood paneling station wagon. And they used to cram like nine guys into the station wagon to go down to school every day, you know, cause we had to carpool to our school. Cause we were, you know, the, the Catholic kids who went to Catholic schools. And so we had to head downtown. So they, all these kids would cram in and the freshmen, there was one freshman who had to quote, ride in the cage and wear the Astro helmet which was the Astro Helmet was an like 1970s Battlestar Galactica-ish. So say we all. So say we all. Sort of helmet that was in the Volgai childhood household. And they used to have to literally wear the helmet and ride in the far back of the station, of the station wagon. And mind you, this was like, it wasn't carpeted and everybody threw his book bag back there. So there was this tiny little freshman guy wearing an Astro helmet driving through DC traffic at, you know, like 6.30 in the morning, you know, with all the, all the people who are commuting to their actual jobs, you know, you're heading down to, to school and the person who was driving would take the turns hard. So the book bags would all launch with the kid into one side of the, of the rear and it, the books would hit the kid like in the head and body. And the kid was probably 110 pounds, maybe dripping wet. But anyway, back to the cassette part of this story, because I could never tell a story that ends where it begins or begins where it ends. But so this Ford LTD station wagon had a cassette player, as as many cars did, because it was fancy. And that's what people paid for back in the day, really crappy cars with, you know, a cassette player. So there was a cassette that got stuck in the cassette player. And you couldn't get it out, but it would play. And it would play constantly and it was steve miller band's greatest hits and so vol guy vol 
G Kanji O E V spent most of his junior and senior. It could be worse. It could be worse. But but periodically he would you know, you could I think to this day you can still go up behind Volgi and go, Billy Mack was detective down in Texas, and he would go and like literally he he will rant about um how Steve Miller rhymed what is it? Texas and taxes. Texas taxes justice faxes. Is that what it is? Yeah, is that the right. rhyme scheme? And he will be like, I, he's like, what the hell is that even? And then do not ever mention the song Abracadabra in front of him, which is not on the Greatest Hits album, but he will go no. off on it. On, reason you, why. on you and there will be, there will be blood. Dr. So, J? Yes. Best album. Best album. Um, Peter Gabriel, So. Uh, very well put together and by extension Kate Bush's Hounds of Love so it's a little bit more experimental than Peter Gabriel but basically she's the Earth 11 Peter Gabriel you know it's interesting female artist but uh, really talented musician when you put people together who know a lot about music it's interesting how it doesn't take very long before Kate Bush's name comes up and we heard her earlier was Yaz I absolutely adore Yaz, too. Um, Vince Clark is a maestro with synthesizers. In fact, he, he composes on guitar because every time he tries to compose on a synthesizer, he gets distracted and just starts tinkering and mucking around and getting all synthesizery and like you know nerdy with it and forgets he's actually trying to compose a song. So he has to compose on a guitar. And Alison Moyer, she's on my playlist because her solo stuff is, is just as good as anything she did is a uh, powerhouse for yes. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very good. Neva gives me crap every once in a while when I have my Spotify up because we follow each other on Spotify and I have some Kate Bush in the rotation. She goes, your list is so much Kate Bush. I'm like, well, it's just in the rotation. Like it's just happens to hit when she's watching. Bush happens. Bush happens. You know who else sometimes comes up too is Liz Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's not a live performer. Apparently, she has stage fright. But uh, she, as vulgar as she is, I mean, she is quite talented. So maybe to to cap off this question, then I have a follow up. Czar, what about you? Best albums? Oh yeah. Well, you know, best album for me. Uh, I was thinking about this a couple of weeks ago. Is, is it's changed? Like every couple of years, like well, that's clearly my favorite album of all time. And they've ranged from uh, some really strange stuff. I think. Uh, uh, Diva by Annie Lennox was on my list for a while as a best album because like every song you can listen to and it's really good. But for me, and I'm not going to prescribe this recipe for everyone else as a way to identify what a best album is. But for me, it's got to be an album that uh, every song on, on it is good. and seems to logically flow from one to the next, but at the same time, you can almost mix up the order and it's still really, really good. And for me, the one I keep coming back to year after year is an obscure album. It's Closing Time by Tom Waits, which is, I think, his first album. I could be wrong on that, but I think it's his first. And uh, it is, in fact, a, a concept album because it's all it's Tom Waits, right? So it's all songs that you might hear drunks at a bar sing to themselves. You know, so it's, it's different people at, at seated in different seats in a bar and what their stories are. Um, there's a couple of... Um, couple of songs that uh, came off that that got pretty famous by other folks uh like old 55 was done by the eagles who will probably not be on anybody's uh you know best artists ever 
Um, although they have the greatest selling album of all time is their greatest hits. But uh, yeah, so uh, if folks are, are uh, not driving during the COVID quarantine, write this down. It's Closing Time by Tom Waits. Great listen from beginning to end. Beautiful arrangements. And, and uh, it is, again, it's Tom Waits. So trust me when I say that this is his voice as the best it was ever going to be. That's, it, it that's a good call. I mean, I've heard that and it didn't occur to me, but I've heard that. For, I'm not a big Tom Waits fan, but I've heard that from multiple people that he's very talented. And here's sort of a sleeper person since we're sort of going into, oh, did you have another one? Sorry, I apologize. No, 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 that was it. Uh, you, you, you fell on the floor when I was talking about some other ones. But yeah, I, I've got, you know, a bunch of albums I love to listen to. At all, at, but, you know, whether they're my favorite, that seems to like rotate in and out every couple of years. But, but that, that one by Tom Waits is the one that just keeps coming back to the top of my list. No. So I was talking to my kid and a lot of the kids, you know, meaning people under 40 probably know this, but you know, John Mayer, and I don't like his music particularly, but I didn't realize this. I mean, he, he plays with the, the dead and company. I mean, he does a lot of that sort of work and he's just a, an exceptional musician. And I just happen not to like the stuff that he's written himself, but you know, there, there are these sorts of musicians who are, sort of your utility infielder who can, who can, who and you know, don't even start with me on the baseball metaphors are, but who can sort of jump into any situation and fill any part you need them to fill. And they'll, then there's a standout musician at that part. And he, I think is one of them as much as I don't prefer his music. So I just wanted to throw that one out there as well. I'll so, give you a questionable take. I think magical mystery tour is a better album than Sergeant Pepper. Pet Sounds is another album. Oh, excellent choice. Yes. I got a topic for you guys. Uh, so my kids, uh, particularly two of three and three of three, are really into music. They're into buying vinyl albums. Um, not so much for the new artists, but to discover old artists and old by artists that we would listen to and, and older. Two of three is a, has a, a pretty good liking of Bob Dylan. And she has two or three of his albums, including the one Peter mentioned earlier. Um, I'm up on Napster. Yeah. I, I tend not to be a Dylan fan. I just could never get into his, his sound. Um, but he's a talented guy. Like I yeah. would not take anything away from him. He's a, he's a real poet uh, when it comes down to it. Um, no, he, he is. So, but uh, we got into a debate a couple maybe a week or so ago during this coronavirus quarantine stuff of pick like one or two of your most underrated musicians. And it stemmed from a conversation, a very brief Twitter conversation that the czar and I had where I kind of just threw out there on a whim that Chrissy Hine of the pretenders is seriously underrated. The band as a whole, but her in particular, I think does not get half the credit that, that she or the band deserves. Totally agreed. Little known fact about Chrissy Hines. She was a, an eyewitness at uh, the Kent State shooting. I'll give you a, a, a Bob Dylan choice here. Is, um, this, is, this is one of those little cards I like to keep up my sleeve. Uh, I'm no particular fan of Bob Dylan, but uh, when people really rail on how he sings, what you should do, and you can watch this on YouTube, it's uh, a good investment of your time for three minutes, is Google Girl from the North Country. Uh, it's a duet he does with Johnny Cash, where Bob Dylan sings in his actual singing voice, not his oaky voice. 
and he's a really good singer. I don't, I don't know why he didn't stick with that one, but I guess Johnny wouldn't let him use his, uh, his nasally twang voice on this one. Just a beautiful song. Bob Dylan wrote it and Johnny does a duet with him and the two are just perfect together. Good call. A, a very good call. No, that's write that down folks. Girl from the North country, Bob Dylan. You can Google it. Google it. It's on. Isn't the North country part of Minnesota? Yeah. So he uses a uh, Minnesota accent uh, as he, it, well, he is from Minnesota, you know, Bob, Bob, Dylan. Bob Robert Zimmerman of up like way North Minnesota, isn't he? I don't know exactly where in Minnesota. He wasn't exactly in the, the greater Minneapolis St. Paul area, like Illinois, who also has a great voice, by the way, I've heard, you know, when she sings the call to prayer, Oh wait, no, women can't do that in the Islamic religion, but that's another whole discussion. Does anybody, Zar, I know, likes classical sort of choral music. So if anybody had to pick like a favorite classical choral piece, what would one pick? Well, I like Is Carpentier's your- Midnight Mass. Um, I think that's a beautiful, beautiful choral piece. And when I was in choir in high school, uh, we had to sing uh, the Mass, which is weird for a Quaker school, but we had this uh, remarkable choir director and he uh, – completely rebooted our choir when he joined us in 11th, when I was in 11th grade. And he was an organist at an Episcopal church in uh, Philadelphia in his free time. And he just really picked a lot of fun classical music and a number of fun gospel spirituals. Uh, He was African-American. He was just a tremendous choir director. But the Carpentier Mass, he turned me on to that. And since you've mentioned it, I I think you can walk into many African-American churches across this country, and you will find better musicians than you will find in many, many, at least better singers, and, and oftentimes better musicians than you will find in many, many, many very famous, very rich bands today. Oh, I thought you were going to say that you'd find in any Catholic church. I was totally going to agree with that. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, our musicians are great because they got the wind chimes and they've got the mandolin and they, they, you know, they organ, screw that. And they have to be like right up on the altar so that Barry, everybody can Barry see. bought a shaker. I can't wait till he uses it. <laughs> the egg. Okay. The tambourine. The tambourine. That's Susan, Susan Day, the Aunt Lori Partridge for all you all you kids who need to use the Googles. So you're talking about underrated musicians. No, we are talking about choral pieces. I got a great one yeah. for you. Cause I know all you guys are big fans of K six, two, six. That's Mozart's Requiem. Yes. But remember that we don't know how much of that he actually wrote. A lot of that was completed by his student, Felix Sussmeyer. See, this is the kind of thing you get when you talk to me. Um, but a great Mozart choral piece is K three, three, nine, which is his Laudate Dominum. It is a good piece. I've sung it. Crank that. Crank it loud. It, Mozart's Mass in C is also very good. When that soprano hits that high note, if your hair is not standing up on your arms, it's because you've recently shaved them. And it was, I'm trying to, I'm going to screw this up because I've had a drink right now, but it's, it's. I can see smell it. I know, over, over the interwebs. But it's Die Zauberflota is his as well, right? The magic yep. flute, yeah. So, I mean, the Queen of Night aria in that. I mean, when oh. you're talking about the high note and the Queen queen of night aria is just it'll knock your socks off if i i love how in the utterly fictitious movie amadeus uh there's a brief scene there in the end that nobody has ever extracted and put on youtube which is too bad where his landlady comes 
to scream at him because he's months behind in his rent and he's stuck trying to write the queen of the night solo. And she starts just hectoring him incessantly. And Tom Hulse's Mozart just stares at her. And as he's looking at her face, he starts scribbling right on the sheet music and it just morphs right into this woman singing that piece. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly done. Anyway, I think uh, so. So, if we're doing classical pieces, when I was younger, it was Musgor. I can never pronounce this. Musgorsky's. Musgorsky. Uh, yeah, pictures at an exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, had to play it in in my elementary school band. Some pieces from it, but I really enjoyed the piece growing up. Which and is then tough I when you play triangle. <laughs> clarinet and bass clarinet, baby. So my musical tastes are all over the place. It's, it's pretty wide um, ranging. And I got on a classical kick earlier this week. I threw it out there on Twitter that I was going between Verdi and Mozart's DSE Ray. Um, and, and both I, good. Both good. Both really good. And I get your point about about Mozart's Requiem. Completely agree there. Um, but you crank up DSE, Ray, and I don't know. It's, it, you get so much power behind it. You're like, go! The, the only oh, problem I have with that... music. Exactly. But the only problem I have with that is there are so many college bands that have, you know, that the you know, SEC schools and big schools oh. have, have stolen bits and pieces of that. But you're right. You know, but Verdi was writing opera, and it was a different time and a different musical period um i think the prettiest the the best piece well there are two i like the confutatis better than the diaz ire and the mozart requiem and i also like the rex tremende um which is one that most people haven't heard mm-hmm. out of the uh mozart requiem classical pieces i don't know you know the, the, the requiem's People will fight the Rudder Requiem, which is more modern, is nice. I prefer um, Brahms' Ein Deutsches Requiem. Uh, which it was Mozart's immigrant song, you know. It kind of was. It kind of was. Yeah, yeah, I could see that a little bit, you know, except for the fact that, you know, they weren't in England and a bunch of guys in tight leather pants. Wait, no, he was Austrian, so he probably was wearing tight leather pants. But... Uh, there's just a lot of really shorter. good shorter, but there's a lot of really good choral music. Um, we had, we, I sang this in college choir where I met my wife, Mrs. P. Um, but it was also sung by 16 of our friends at our wedding. We had the Cantique de Jean Racine by um, Gabrielle Faure, which is very nice. And Faure's Requiem is also a very nice requiem. So I, you have to pick a requiem. It's, I'm kind of hard pressed to pick a requiem, but I do agree with Gord T that the Verdi's Requiem, if you need like get up and go music, that's like hellfire and God. I mean, it's sort of the second coming of God, the day of wrath, the day of thunder is coming down upon you and you know, your soul better damn well be ready because God's coming to reap. Um, you know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of music, but again, it's much more operatic than sort of the traditional. So here's the, here's the nerd that I am. I have I have a bent towards Franz Liszt uh, because when you take apart his music, he figured out to do chords in a Fibonacci series because he figures out that 
Fibonacci sequences are pleasing to humans, both visually and, and in auditory. So it's like the golden mean, sort of like the, the man, yeah. like, yeah, it's sort of, oh, yeah. that's interesting. Golden circle. Yeah. Uh, golden ratio. Golden uh, ratio. All, all can be derived from Fibonacci sequence. So I was at a summer camp in between eighth grade and high school, I think. It was one of these gifted and talented camps, math nerds, science nerds. And we had an elective class that we had to pick one evening. It was like a two-hour lecture. And this guy came in and lectured all about Franz Liszt and tied it to math. And I was completely like entranced by it. I don't like it was cool. Well, I will challenge you then because nobody solved this one yet. It's sort of the musical puzzle and nobody can figure out what it is, but it's, it's, I think it's Elgar's Enigma variations. And it's supposed to be a variation on a piece of music that he put to music. And there's like, I don't know how many, there's multiple, eight, 10, 12. I don't know. You know, I'm not the musicologist, um, but it's, that's for sure. It's all based on the same thing. It's all based on the same song and nobody's figured it out yet. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating puzzle. It's sort of what for Ma's last theorem. I don't know if anybody's figured mm-hmm. that one out. Right. Yet. Andrew Wiley did. Did he? 1994. Yeah. Is it, you know, so, okay, good. So somebody finally figured it out. How many centuries after he wrote it in the margin? It took a little while. Yeah, exactly. I have my senior year of college. It was yeah. crazy. It was yeah. like, we're, we're all studying for exams. And then in the school paper, all of a sudden, hey, some guy in the math department just solved Fermat's last theorem. And you're like, all right, now I got to go figure out what Fermat's last theorem is. <laughs> no, my, um, my best friend was a math major. So he proceeded to come into my dorm room with the newspaper saying, check this out. So, and then, and like, then explain uh, like what Fibonacci music too. I, there's a particular piece I like because it's written in uh, one, two, three, five, eight time. I think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least bounce this question around. Best concert you've ever been to? Only one. Wow. Well, okay. And I was going to make a joke about my favorite choral piece being Nif Mich Auf by Sir George Aha. Uh, you know, good. So, Your coral so, uh, must be all, bleaching. All of my uh, counterparts here started laughing because their German's good enough to, to know what that is. <laughs> um, that's that's take on me by uh, aha. Anyway, uh, best concert ever. Uh, this is really bizarre. Uh, back in the early '90s, and I've seen tons and tons of, of good acts in my day, but um, I accepted uh, as a birthday gift tickets to a concert by Kitaro. He's a Japanese musician, and it was in the Chicago Theater, which is that real iconic one in, in, on State Street in Chicago where you know, it's got Chicago written vertically on the marquee, and it's all beautifully lit up. It had just reopened, had been restored. The seats were incredibly comfortable. We were right close to the stage, and this little uh, Japanese guy comes out with a, with a gaggle of musicians, and for the next two and a half hours, it was mind-blowingly good mind-blowingly good just fantastic stuff just the whole show just was was uh indescribably well-timed perfectly done uh like clockwork just uh, amazing stuff i'm trying to think probably the eric clapton one for you right no it was i think it was the kinks concert at at merriweather post outside dc uh back in probably let's see 1985 maybe was it the Zeppelin concert where you got assaulted in the men's room? 
it doesn't have to be a Zeppelin concert for that to happen. I'm 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 just assuming there's some underlying reason for your animals. No, I, I just I, they were a fantastic act. I mean, they were just that good, and I think they were you know because the brothers, the Davies brothers, still haven't played together. You know, since I forget when they broke up, but they still will not be on the same stage. It's kind of like the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. The, the, you know, the Brits, the Brits don't like each other very much in, the, in their own families. It was that, but I also went to a very, very interesting concert that I thought I was going to hate. And, and my son, my elder, least elderest son took me to this concert at the University of Georgia. <clears throat> and it was their percussion ensemble. And it was after I got rid of my notions of what music should be. No, I, and I mean this, and I'm not trying to be an ass about this, but I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal concert by a group of people who clearly understood music and they clearly, you can't break the rules of music until you understand the rules of music. And these people certainly did that. And it was a very, very interesting, all percussion concert. So it was fascinating. So that was, those were my two. Do we get two or do we get one? Well, you can pick whatever you want. I picked okay. one. Yeah, and gave us two. <laughs> I gave you two because I, I you. cheat all the time. I break the rules of music. Right, because you know them. <laughs> yeah, I clearly don't know them. Um, I would say the REM Green Tour was just spectacular. Um, probably one of the best shows that I've seen. And I, in high school, I went to a lot of concerts. Uh, the, the company my dad worked for um, had a box in Philly at the Spectrum, and uh, he would have clients who wanted to go see shows that he had very little interest in going and seeing himself. So occasionally he would tap me to go represent the company. <laughs> and uh, once in a while, as a consequence, I would be able to ask my dad to get me tickets. So, hey, dad, can you get me? Hey, dad, can you get me Depeche Mode tickets? And he would say, who the heck am I going to get you know, as a client that's going to come, you know, and see that. And I was like, well, you know, Mr. So-and-so has this teenage daughter. I think she would love to go to Depeche Mode. And so he'd be like, okay. And then the next day he'd be like, I got nine tickets for you. And uh, so-and-so's daughter is going to come with three tickets. And uh, one of those concerts was the Depeche Mode Violator Tour, which was amazing. But uh, probably the REM concert was the best concert pitch perfect. I would yes. want to send my daughter to a concert where the name was Violator. <laughs> Maybe no, I yeah. just heard that. I... <laughs> well, it was, the, it was the Violator tour. It was uh, Depeche Mode's 1989 album. Yeah, no, it's a great album, but uh, you know, I figure if you're a slightly out of touch dad, you're not going to hear it that way. Yeah, maybe to, to lead up to this, so Peter mentioned a concert that he wished he would have seen. Uh, I wish I could have seen the police in concert. It's my, probably my biggest regret that I, I'm just slightly too young where I didn't get to see them in concert and I uh, missed their reunion tour that they did briefly. Saw Not Sting that they in did. concert. Very funny. I've seen Sting six times in concert and I've loved every single one of them. And it's ranged from his bluesy jazz stuff that he did with uh, Dream of the Blue Turtles um, and Winston Marsalis. Yeah, and Lee songs too. He's, it's, a, it's a good show. Who? Yeah, very funny. I mean, he's really witty. He is. For, well, he's from Liverpool, so he's shipbuilding family. But so, all right. So he's Scousy. Scousy. So for, forgive my ignorance here. Who's their 
is it Stuart Copeland is their drummer? Stuart Copeland is their drummer who is a phenomenal drummer, underrated. He he, does a lot of uh, TV and movie composing too. And he's also, if if I recall correctly, I think his family was working for quote British petroleum and they spent a lot of time in places around the world. And he spent a lot of time in Afghanistan and other countries like that. And I am told by a, percussionist and i don't know that this is true and i'm just i've heard this story that, no but that he drums a lot like the afghanis do i mean it's just a different set of rhythms and a different set of beats so if you listen to the police drums and why they're sort of different their beats are different it's because of that and yeah. that's that's what i've heard and i'm not absolutely certain that's true yeah so for my my concerts um he drums yeah, on this- one and three that's the secret like classical musicians sing on one and three and then my kids yell at me oh my god clap on two and four uh so i think my concert so uh two of three took a class last semester on history of rock and roll british rock and roll the professor was asking asking them to do a report on different bands she got assigned soul to soul and she's like I don't know this band at all. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I have the CD here. I've been to the concert. She's like, what? <laughs> so that's not my favorite, but, but it's, it was definitely entertaining and a different experience. Go look it up of their music. If you don't know it, my favorite concert was probably Russia's uh, R30 uh, tour. They put on a phenomenal stage show it involves everything from the screen projection screen. Then they have, Jerry Stiller doing some of their intro videos. They Parts have, of that concert may still be going on. It, it could be, although that's pretty much if they're doing 2112. It, it was a phenomenal concert. You just sit there and, and enjoyed it. It's, a lot of people describe them as nerd rock, so it figures that I just kind of fell into them and enjoyed them. Cool. But before we bail here, because we're going to have to bail soon, because I have to go get chops on the grill. I want to give a shout out to the Almond Brothers and to the band, because I think those are two, I mentioned Southern Rock very early in this. I love CCR. I mean, I will always love CCR, many, mostly because there's one of my father's favorite bands. But I do think that those two groups were phenomenal. And I'm going to give a shout out also to Bob Seger. I think he is underrated. I think he, he's written some excellent music um, out of Detroit uh, and it tells stories and it's sort of got that American sort of, you know, feel of storytelling. But I, so those are three artists that I, you know, we did. I could talk to you for 20 minutes straight about the Allman brothers. I, those guys are way beyond, um, you know, Southern rock, you know, it gets a bad reputation in some more ignorant parts of the country, but, uh, it's quality stuff. And when you look at a song like Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers that's written in 11-4 time, you begin to appreciate this is, this is not childish stuff. This is really, really tough. And look at all the, the groups that came out of the South that evolved from that. Yeah, yeah I mean, and the, the, you're, like, you were, like I was saying earlier, you have to understand the rules of music before you can break them. And they clearly understood whether or not. And that's a throwback to the, the, the musical tradition that's in the South that we haven't talked about much here. But so much of music in America and 
you know, the stuff we're talking about derives from the African-American experience. And you know me, I'm not a person who's going to go out there and say, you know, we need to give props to people just to be nice to people. The African-American experience and the African-American musicians and the amount of music that was stolen slash borrowed from African-American musicians, whether it's jazz or, you know, all this stuff. I mean, some of the best, Cab Calloway, you know, all that stuff is brilliant. So Elvis was a hero to most. But he, but he didn't never meant mean shit to me. To me, exactly. <laughs> but it's it's that sort of thing. It's um, we we've we've spent a lot of time talking aside from the classical stuff, but we spent a lot of time talking about a lot of music that owes so much to African American music in this country, and people don't give that enough um enough propers, as Aretha would say. You know, it's it's one of those things where. Everybody knows it, but nobody wants to say it, that, you know, rock music came from black people who were subjugated and poor in the South. And that's just a fact. Um, But it needs to be said more and it needs to be said loudly. And it needs to be said that most of the stuff we listen to today came in some way, shape or form, particularly the blues that Zarn loves so much. Jazz as well. Jazz, all that. That's that's all creations. I mean, we just lost um, the patriarch Ellis Marsalis, right, of of the Mm -hmm. Marsalis family. That's right. Uh, to unfortunately, the COVID you know crisis, the Corona, as I like to call it, but it's uh, it's the it, Rona. Yeah, the Rona. But you know, but but we owe we America wouldn't be what it was, and American music certainly would not be as brilliant as it is without the African American community. So I just wanted to say that, and sort of in my closing. Yeah, we definitely could spend another two or three hours just talking about that whole section of it. Um, going all the way back to the music of West Africa and how it came over here and how it merged with the gospel end of it and some of the, uh, the, the cotton field spirituals uh, to where even Stephen Foster was profiting immensely and knew it and, and acknowledged it in the later years of his life. Uh, pretty sure he became a pretty ardent abolitionist. Um, but the, And the chain, the chain gang stuff that was actually recorded that was on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou from the Mississippi chain gangs. I mean, that was similar stuff. Well, folks, I think this turned out to be a much more educated conversation than we were expecting from uh, Pewter. Um, (laughs) To be fair, I did throw my underwear at the band, but nobody's taking me backstage. Well, can I get my keys back then? Because I I threw them back at you. Well, no, no, I've, I've secreted them somewhere on my body and you're going to have to find them. I'll, I'll wait until they secrete out. That's excrete. It's it's Sorry. out of <laughs> secrete, like 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 from pores. Exactly. So no, so I I do think you know anyway. This has been a great conversation on music, and I then one of the next podcasts we need to do should be talk about Southern food and African American influence on that because Southern food is my favorite food. Oh yeah, pretty big soul food fan myself. Great place in Milwaukee to get it, by the way. And Dr. J happens to live in one of the capitals of great Southern food. So. Oh, no, oh, absolutely. Right? I don't believe he's ever mentioned it. <laughs> I'll just take y'all to the Loveless the next time y'all come down to Nashville. So I'd so be down. Yeah, we're all going. We're down for that. So we're going to have yeah. to do another podcast on food because, you know, we all love the food a bit too much, particularly in this time of crisis. So Just as long as you don't do the food background on your screen during the podcast, Peter. <laughs> no problem. I have the giraffe background on my screen with, with eyes at the top of its horns. Much so, less phallic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So we're going to do, we're going to do that. Uh, but so anyway, I guess this has been a great podcast. I'll hand it back to Gort for the closing.
Yeah. Or not. Or not. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, wait, do, we have, do we have time to talk about life post-COVID? I just remember that was our topic for today. I guess we don't. I guess no. we don't have the time. Nope. No, the sponsors, the sponsors aren't paying us anymore, and I've got to get down to, like, you know, start drinking more than I've been drinking all day, so. Yep. Yeah, just talk about Cup of Soup. <laughs>